sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Well, we're still waiting with uh, bated breath, as they say, for the Supreme Court to issue its ruling on the future of abortion in this country and the future of its landmark Roe versus Wade decision. And so yet another in a series that we've been doing on various aspects of this very highly emotionally charged issue. I've invited an old friend and classmate of mine, an author and pastor, Kevin Paulson, to be with us. He has done a lot of research on the history of abortion. Kevin, welcome to Freedom's Reign. Glad to be here. So, you know, Christians generally look at, at least those who tend pro-life, look at Bible verses that affirm the value of human life generally. But let's go back to the ancient Near East, to the days of Moses. And what was the practice and the customs and the laws respecting abortion at the time that Moses is writing the Torah, you know, the five books, the basically giving Israel the law? Well, actually, from the records we have, the witness of the ancient Near East was all over the map. You had, for example, the ancient Egyptians who have uh, left a papyrus that goes all the way back to the Pyramid Age, which specifically lists a formula for interrupting a pregnancy. You can read about that actually in this book by a Harvard-trained physician by the name of John Riddle. The book is titled Eve's Herbs, in which he quotes from this particular papyrus which lists a formula, some medications that the patient was to take, etc., for terminating a pregnancy. This particular papyrus was copied by Egyptian scribes during the very time which, according to biblical chronology, Moses would have been educated in the royal Egyptian court. So it was clear that this practice was acceptable among the Egyptians, the children of Israel at that time were being held as slaves in Egypt. It's difficult to imagine that they would not have been familiar with the procedure. But on the other side of the Fertile Crescent, you had the Middle Assyrian laws, which were enacted at about the time Moses had completed the book of Deuteronomy, and the children of Israel were about to enter the land of Canaan. And the Assyrians had a completely different perspective on this practice, they considered it murder and prescribed the death penalty, not only for the woman who procured an abortion, but for the physician who helped her do it. And so what is the most significant, and it is truly remarkable how secret this particular fact has remained in the dialogue of people in the United States and in other Western cultures regarding this practice, uh, the simple fact that the Bible, which supposedly is supremely revered by so many anti-abortion activists, is totally silent on this procedure, which existed throughout the ancient world. It existed in the time of Moses. 
It existed before in the time of Moses. The Code of Hammurabi even mentions it. Um, it existed throughout ancient times, and yet the first time it is mentioned in Jewish literature is in the Talmud, which, of course, was composed during the intertestamental period. Um, you can read about that in this book. Let me stop you for a second, Kevin. So, for starters, it surely comes as a surprise to many of us that the conflict over abortion and its morality and its practice is not a new conflict. That is correct. That going back to the days of Moses, if I'm hearing you correctly, that you had different cultures. First of all, it was practiced. Obviously, they had different means than we do today, but it was practiced and it was sufficiently common that at least the Middle Assyrians chose to outlaw it very harshly. And apparently it was was socially acceptable in Egypt. So there was a, a variety of uh, practice and laws respecting abortion. So there was no consensus then, just as there fails to be a consensus today. Is that a good place to start here? That is absolutely correct. There has never been a consensus on this subject, and therefore the idea that we often hear from agitators on the far right that the um, the moral consensus of Western civilization was totally against abortion until those completely radical, supposedly radical uh, liberal justices on the United States Supreme Court uh, rendered the decision they did in Roe versus Wade. You know, if you believe that, I have a bridge to sell you. That there is no. All right, we don't need to be insulting. Christians obviously are very sincere in their opposition to abortion, and it's not. It's not my goal in doing this interview to criticize that. I'm just trying to bring a little bit of perspective here in terms of the history. Now, you've mentioned that in the midst of this kind of cultural, you know, and the, the variety of, of practice and laws, Moses, in giving the law to Israel, does not specifically address abortion as such, right? That is correct. There's no specific... But there is a very interesting verse that plays a significant role in Jewish thinking, but has been largely ignored by pro-life Christians. And that is Moses writing in Exodus 22:21, at least in the, uh, in the Christian numbering of the verses, as to the consequences of a woman miscarrying when she gets in the middle of a fisticuffs with a couple of men fighting. You want to talk about that verse? Yeah, well, that verse is controversial from the perspective that scholars disagree as to what is meant when it says, if mischief falls, whether this is harm falling on the pregnant woman or whether this is harm falling on the fetus. Uh, the point is, this was not a voluntary termination of a pregnancy on the part of the woman. And that's what's important to keep in mind. It would obviously be, as it is presented in the context, a woman is expecting to carry the pregnancy to term who has now miscarried because of getting in the middle of an assault. But what is not clear is whether the mischief falling has to do with the woman or whether it has to do with the fetus. Either way, the issue of abortion is not being addressed. No, I understand. But what you have here is the death to the fetus. Yes. And and that death is caused by violence, 
and is the death of the fetus treated as a homicide the way other types of homicides are treated in the Bible? From the way I read the passage, it is not. And that's certainly the way the Jewish scholars read the passage. Yes, right? that is also correct. So within Judaism, it's clear that there's a distinction made between the death of the unborn and the death of someone who's born. Yes, indeed. And this is why this book here by Fred Rosner, Biomedical Ethics and Jewish Law, is very informative on this topic. Uh, he explains that in Jewish thought, a fetus is not considered a person, even if they are not in agreement as to whether the termination of a pregnancy is acceptable or not. There is disagreement in the Jewish community on that, but they are in agreement, it seems, that a fetus is not a person. Well, you know, I don't have any particular expertise in this, but, you know, with my being a lawyer, in the law, Western law generally does not grant rights broadly to the fetus. Obviously, there is now a growing body of legal theory that wants to do that. But, for example, if the husband of a pregnant woman dies, the baby that she's carrying does not enjoy inheritance rights, has no part in the estate, right? If the father, you know, included kids in his will and said, you know, I'll give half to my wife and half to be divided among the kids, the unborn is not included in that share because it's just not counted as such. So, you know, history is not obviously the definitive determining factor in where we go as a society, but Americans are famous for being kind of ahistorical. We're not very good at being, you know, we have very short memory span. So I just felt like it was good to review some of this history. And so we just have a few minutes left, even as late as the Roe v. Wade decision back in, you know, the late 60s and early 70s, Protestant Christians in America were far from of one mind. They were quite divided of how our nation should approach the subject of abortion. Isn't that right? That is very, very much correct. I mean, a lot of people today forget how much difference of opinion there has been in conservative Protestant circles. And notice I say conservative Protestant circles on this subject. Um, the magazine Christianity Today, together with the Christian Medical Society, hosted a gathering at Wheaton College back in 1968 called uh, Birth Control and the Christian, which failed to come to any consensus regarding the voluntary termination of a pregnancy. The Southern Baptist Convention for three consecutive annual conferences in a row actually urged the government to allow for abortion under certain circumstances. Even a very well-known fundamentalist Protestant by the name of W.A. Chriswell raised the Roe versus Wade decision uh, as being the best thing for women as well as for, you know, as far as their uh, right to make this decision was concerned. The I think Chriswell was, was either, he was president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know if he was president yes, at the time he that was. he said that, but he certainly was a very prominent leader within the Southern Baptists. That he was. And, um, you, you know, an excellent article that I would recommend to our listeners, actually two of them, one is by Randall Balmer, uh, a Dartmouth historian, uh, which was titled The Origins of the Religious Right 
It was published a couple of years ago. And then there was another one published very recently during the recent Senate runoff in Georgia, in which um, Pastor Raphael Warnock, who is now a senator, of course, was condemned because he made the statement that he was a pro-choice pastor. Uh, there is an article that was published in The Hill after that by Marek von Rennenkampf, and the article was titled, Pro-Choice Pastors Like Raphael Warnock Have History and the Bible on Their Side. I would recommend any of our listeners to Google that article and read it because it has very insightful and substantive information on the history of this controversy, not only in America, but going all the way back to the beginnings of the Christian church. I'm quite sure that you and I are not going to solve the debate here over how the law should address abortion. And our church takes about the same moral view that it is permitted under very narrow, limited circumstances. I say the same moral view as um, Protestants have taken generally. So it's not that um, Adventists certainly are not pro-abortion in that sense. I would say some of us are suspicious about efforts to make punitive abortion laws but we're far more agnostic about what the law should be and far clearer on you know, what we advocate for individual practice. Well, Kevin, I'm really grateful for your insights on the history of abortion. Americans tend to be very ahistorical. We don't remember the past very well. And you know, if Roe v. Wade is undone, there will be vigorous debate in the states as to what to do about abortion. And I hope that we will be listening to one another, that we will be learning from history. And, you know, I still say law is not the best tool to combat abortions, that we need to be focused on what we can do to help women so that they don't desire to have abortions in the first place. In any event, this debate will carry on. Our guest today has been author and pastor Kevin Paulson. Thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring, Kevin. Thank you. And as we close, friends, this has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.